The Quintessential Podcast is proud to announce that we have a new presenting sponsor, Axia Time. Axia Time is a really cool watch company focused on ultra-custom watches to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments. Watches whose styling and quality match the significance of the accomplishments they represent. Axia Time is also partnered with all the leading lacrosse organizations to create all-American timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. Axia Time even creates timepieces for elite awards like the Tuareton and Naismith. If you're interested in a high-quality, Swiss-made timepiece to commemorate a great accomplishment, you need to check out their designs at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. If you're celebrating a team achievement, like a state championship, national championship, or even world championship, you have to check out the timepieces they created for teams like Jesuit Dallas, the University of Maryland, and even the USA U21 world champions. Quintessential podcast, making our way through the month of January. Today we bring on Jerry Byrne, the head coach at Harvard. Coach Byrne, welcome to January. Uh, Just before we get started, what's the feeling like? In the Ivy League, I had Mike Murphy on last week as you guys kind of sit with your with your captain's practices while, while others get to start things. What, what, how do you approach that? Um, you know, the each team is different. I think there's a I think there's a sense within the, the outside world that the league is kind of monolithic relative to everything, whether it's admissions or financial aid or when you can start your captain's practice stuff can start. Uh, the week before classes start. And so, you know, I think, uh, you know, depending on when that is for your team, obviously Dartmouth has a trimester system, so they start a little bit earlier. So, no, it's, it's you know, it's that time of year where, you know, hope springs eternal and the, you know, the guys are coming back early. They've come back from their holidays and, you know, the energy is off the wall. As I always say, the, the challenge is can you have that, same energy on a rainy day in March because it's easy to have it when, when, you know, you're just about to start and you, your official practices haven't started yet. And you're reconnecting with friends you haven't seen in four or five weeks. So let's, let's, you know, let's monitor and maintain that energy on the, on the great days and maybe on the struggle days as well. That's a great point. Call me on the, the third week of practice in the middle of February when it's 28 and drizzly. Uh, big picture question, and I got some questions here. Where this not going to be our usual coach speak? Uh, who, what type of person would you like to see hired as the president of Harvard? Uh, academia, uh, business person, CEO, from politics, maybe a former educator. Like, what 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 type of person can fit that role? You know, any any school. You know, whether you're a you know a medium sized state school or you know a, a legacy university like harvard you know the hats that they have to wear is very much like the various hats that an athletic director has to wear you know the athletic director 50 years ago gene corrigan for example was a former athlete an athletic director at you know division three division one ran a conference and then had to learn and develop the skills to negotiate tv contracts and sponsorships and things like that so much like the, the evolution of the athletic director as a CEO, the evolution of the university president is always going to, it's not going to evolve in the same way that the athletic director has because the president of any university is, al- is always going to come from 
academia. That is the mission of any university is to teach and educate, but that doesn't kind of minimize the fact that they have to also manage, you know, a disparate demographic of students and professors and fundraising and architecture and growth. So yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a variety of skill sets that a university president has to balance, but it's always going to be focused on research and education. You mentioned that variety of skill sets. And I think in college athletics right now, the environment has really changed to the point where coaches, administrators uh, need a wider variety of, of skills, whether it's portal management, uh, dealing with NIL, financial aid, roster management now in this post-COVID era. Uh, you, you brought up a, a, fa a fact, Jerry, just in a text we were having back and forth about how there's kind of an inequality right now in college sports that that is more uh, drastic than ever before. And, and you know, I, I spoke with uh, NCAA President Baker at the Celebration Bowl about it. And it hit me when I was just doing a preview for next week. I'm writing about Duke, Virginia, and Notre Dame as the top three teams. Well, Duke and Notre Dame benefit dramatically from their from their their postgraduate programs. Like we're competing, it feels like in an era where schools are really ha have different uh, different ways that they can stack their roster, whether it's scholarships, financial aid, NIL, or through the portal. Uh, do, do what do you see as as the key ingredient there? Yeah, I I think you have like. Wherever you are, you're going to look at the, you're going to look at these kind of seismic shifts in college athletics and and in college lacrosse in particular through the prism of your own experience. Like we, you know, within our league, you know, and it varies within schools, but in general, there's not a lot of transfer opportunities within the Ivy League. the The academic kind of, you know, process that you take in your four year experience is very particular and it's very specific. So there's 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 real kind of admissions challenges and curriculum challenges to transfer into um, our league. So I don't spend a lot of time kind of crying in my pillow thinking that I'm going to change, you know, a philosophy that's, you know, 120 years, 130 years in, in the making. So while, while accepting that, it, it puts more challenges on the coaches in our league to recruit well, skill, character, development opportunities, commitment to an academic um, journey and their life after, after Harvard, for example. So that that is always going to be a challenge, but I think it's a particular challenge and opportunity within our league. So that, that's not going to change. And so relative to the teams that we recruit against, the ACC teams, in particular is and and not in a negative recruiting way but there's there's a factual part of of how we may recruit that's saying hey our roster is going to be our roster that you know who we recruit are going to be the people that are going to be on their team we're not going to have three four five six you know um you know, transfer uh, people on a team. And this is not, I'm not maligning or besmirching the teams that can do that. Cause if I was still coaching in that league, you're hundred percent chance that I'd be taking, trying to take advantage of it. But those are uh, on the surface, they're competitive advantages. The fact that you can 
you know, get a fifth year or the fact that you can extend your academic journey for an extra year or two. And this is independent of the COVID effect. So people think, well, once the COVID effect stops, this is going to stop. No, this is going to be, this is a, this is a certainty that's part of, you know, how big a team is going to be, you know, how many uh, people are going to extend their, their um, academic journey, five years, the increase in red shirting, the, the fact that non-IVs can stack scholarship and financial aid, which you couldn't do in the past. So it gives teams really the, the, the ability to have like 15 to 20 scholarships. You add on the NIL benefit, you know, um, at various schools that are that are kind of you in, including your your alma mater is that you know that's a way for them to you know for a Johns Hopkins to compete against an ACC or Big Ten school. So listen, every place has their advantages and disadvantages, and we we hang our hats on the advantages and we try to minimize our disadvantages. So the advantages for Harvard and the Ivy League is. They're older than every other school. That means that gives them generational wealth and leverage and access and networks that the other schools don't have. The fact that we can talk about our rosters aren't going to be stocked with transfers. Like there's been two athletic transfers into Harvard in the last 12 years. One of them had to be happened to be Chase Yeager, who played for me, but that's two. Two in the last 11 years. And so, you know, like, those give those places advantages, but I think what they have not realized yet, and maybe it doesn't come up, is what is the effect of having, you know, what's the cultural effect of having maybe delaying my opportunity to be on the field if I was a recruited athlete at a place and I keep on getting stepped over by, you know, a, a 23, 24-year-old graduate a player who's three years older than me and been in the weight room longer. So the, the jury's still, like... The jury's out on the benefit. It's really beneficial to the teams that can do it. But is there a long-term effect? I think I'm I'm hanging my hat on the certainty that the Ivy League will have the athletes that they have and the outcomes that they can have professionally as well. I've seen it in college football where coaches have to constantly re-recruit their own roster um, on a yearly basis to, to maintain or guys are going to hit the portal. As you said, if, if I get passed by a wave of a continual wave of transfers in eventually I, I, I got to leave Dodge serious question. My parents are both teachers, let's say on long Island, public school teachers uh, and ACC schools offered me a full ride. How much financial aid would I qualify for at Harvard? You know, uh, the, you know, the, the, the league, has really aggressive financial aid. It's it's never, you know, it depends on your household income. And, you know, I'm not going to profess to know what teachers make in New York. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's Strugglesville, but, you know, they're not millionaires. I my, know, my daughter, Long Island is an expensive place to live, you know. My and daughter's so, like, Dad, you grew up poor. I'm like, yeah. Grace, we were not poor. Both my parents were <laughs> poor. We had our summer, but we were not poor. Yeah, we went up to the, the Irish Alps, up to the Catskills. We went on vacation. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, it, it varies by like the you know the somebody that that's really not kind of a, a fair example because you know going to school for free is always going to be really hard to compete with. If if you you know in our league, if you if you're making you know less than you know probably one hundred fifty thousand dollars, 
all things being equal, you you can compete with somebody who's getting a really aggressive. Really? Uh, okay. But the real challenge is because there's not that many guys who are getting full scholarships. They might be getting really aggressive scholarships, financial aid stacked on top of it, NIL money on top of that. That's a really, you know, that becomes the real challenge. But all things being equal, someone who's getting a 40% athletic scholarship, you know, we're always going to be able to compete with that kind of yeah. player where, where the competition really comes is that we really hang our hat on outcomes, professional outcomes, where guys are going and starting their careers and lives. And, and the fact that we play in a preeminent league that's had a lot of uh, success in the last, you know, five to seven years, making final fours and winning national championships and having a lot of teams make the NCAA tournament. So, you know, I think one of the, the narratives that our league has to do better and our coaches have to do better is, and you think about this relative like to the SEC is like when like there's a lot of pride in playing in the SEC for football. You know this because you cover yeah. those sports. Like that that brand has an identity of excellence in a variety of ways. And that you know, Mississippi may hate Alabama and Alabama may compete every year with Georgia, but like at the at the end of the day, they're all part of that league. And they want to kick their ass on Saturdays, but if they're not playing, you know they're rooting for the league. And I think we one of the things that we have to do is is kind of not just compete and combat against the narrative of Big Ten ACC, but we often we compete with them, we combat them, we recruit against them, we win some, we lose some, but we're we're a peer, and we're, I don't think anyone has a peer is a peer to ours in, in the outcome department. So we need to kind of marry and merge those things from a messaging standpoint as a collective group, not just independently. I've got an artifact here. This is your uh, this is your board from the 2022 playoff game against Rutgers, the Springsteen and uh, Goodfellas game that Anish and I brought. Uh, and I, I didn't see you guys really in person last year. I saw you on tape a couple times. So I'm saying I'm seeing all these first year guys on on this list now who are juniors correct yes wow so owen gaffney miles bodkiss andrew perry lucas uh hills and wrath joe dowling these guys are all andrew o'berry thomas martinson all these guys are juniors now yes that's a strong class why you know, why give me a reason why and and i think you can why why can harvard win the ivy league this year you know uh you know i think i think before you answer that question you, you know, i think the more central question is all right you have this you know, kind of seminal resurrection year in 2022 after, you know, two and a, two and a half years of, you know, COVID and everything. So I think part of it was obviously getting released from the blocks and being like, oh my God, we're back together. We're practicing. You know, it was a great story. We had really good wins. The league had a great year and you make the NCAA tournament. And then, and we end up, I think, you know, Terry Foy and a lot of teams, we were ranked anywhere from 11th to 15th and we have a disappointing year last year so i think before i answer your 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 question is i think the bigger question is what you know can you explain the struggle of last year and i think a little bit of the struggle last year is was you know you don't get to start where you finish which is one of you know casey's lines that that team is gone you know that team in that moment is gone you know guys 
graduate. And yeah, you had, you know, we had, I think 12 or 13 freshmen who played in that game, the NCAA tournament game. And, you know, that team's gone and this team's new team. So whether it was, you know, feeling like, all right, well now we're, it's going to be this up and to the right trajectory. It, you know, we had some injuries and we had some close games that we didn't win. And we had some really good wins over Cornell and, and some other really good teams. And we're up nine, three on Michigan with like five minutes to go in the second quarter. And we ended up, you know, end up giving up five goals in the last, you know, five minutes of, of, of a quarter. And now I think that was a real kind of turnaround. And so, you know, you don't get to start where you're finished. And, you know, last year I had some really high moments and disappointing. So, you know, you know, do we have an opportunity to win this league? Absolutely. Do we have, you know, injuries and some kind of reckoning that we have to make, make through based on what happened and what didn't happen last year. But no, I think we have, you know, a really experienced uh, group of players at every position and some, and some really good freshmen. I think we're going to, again, play four five, six freshmen this year, which is like, if I'm doing my job well, and I'm not inferring that I'm not doing it well, but if I'm doing it well, less and less freshmen are playing. It's just not yeah. happening as as aggressively as I would have thought. And, you know, but I think four or five, six freshmen are going to play a lot this year, which speaks to some injuries and some development challenges. But I, I agree. I think this team can, if we can get some consistency in some real specialty areas, I think there's there's no reason why we shouldn't be there at the end. Sam King, Greg Campisi, Colin Bergstrom. You mentioned freshmen. And again, I go back to the, the there's an article next week, Lex All-Stars, Duke, Virginia, Notre Dame, just a preview. I mentioned one freshman of, of the three teams. There's one guy, McKay Millen of Virginia, is the only freshman that like so you're in a good spot, I guess, as 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 a program when you're not relying on freshmen. Uh, got some great uh, email feedback from our fans. It's quint.kesnick at ESPN.com. Uh, Jacob, uh, Peen, uh, these guys sent me these incredible emails, these listeners. They want to know, there's a little feeling, uh, many of them are coaching out in, out in the boonies, out in the sticks. How do you format practice and how far in advance are you in terms of your practice formats? You know, um, historically, the how far ahead you are, you know, maybe a day or two, because you want to kind of, this is historically, you want to, you want to stay kind of nimble and mobile and open to, all right, what happened yesterday or in previous days that you can kind of manipulate and, and customize into the next day's uh, practice. Um, so that that's kind of historically, maybe a day or two, you know, when we, when we do our practice planning, we have our, our template for our, you know, what we hand out to the um, coaches and what we share with the players. We share our practice plan with our players electronically um, earlier in the day with links to any sort of new drills or reminders oh, cool. for new drills. So you're trying, you know, when you're in the Ivy League, you're trying to save minutes because we start later than everybody else in our game starts. So anything that you can do to to facilitate reps and and kind of efficiency with time. So we 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 try to meet our players where they are using technology to to save time, to educate them, to allow them to peer to peer um teach each other so when we get on the field we can be really efficient but so that historically that's the way we've approached it um this year neil hutchinson is my head assistant and nick grill is our new defensive coach and and mike terranova coaches our goalie and faceoff guys we i've I challenged them this year to 
hey, let's 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 do an overview of all the teams we're playing so that if I got locked in an elevator with you, you could give me a five minute summary oh. of each team that we're playing. So kind of look, we need to do this. Look at look ahead. So we're looking at our whole schedule and yeah. then distilling out here's the three to five things we need to know about team XYZ. And and then let's shake all of that out. And are, are there some consistent themes about the way they ride and man, right? Yeah. The way they clear this is a 10 man team. This is some of the things they do in the face off. They have some set plays off of the end line or out of timeouts. Let's shake out some stuff and let's, let's organize those and let's, you know, let's see if we can integrate them into practice in our kind of preseason, which goes from, let's say third week of January to the third week of February. And let's see if, not attaching it to a specific team, but integrating into practice. So if we have this general knowledge, when we get to that team, it'll be, you know, we'll be that much further along. So that's been a little bit different, like looking at, you know, basically it's the equivalent of, of a teacher looking at the textbook and pulling the three to five things out of every chapter, spending a couple of weeks teaching on that, and then kind of working your way through the through the chapter so and on a game, it differs on a game week though you're, you you're going to map out the week probably yeah. on sunday or monday morning with Absolutely. with your staff with your Absolutely. staff and, and you want to develop a consistency of how you do it you know so that the guys know the rhythm and the pacing of the week and that's okay and then you occasionally you throw them a change up yes have you run the stadium stairs at harvard recently uh, not recently. Look, uh, Coach Byrne has played a little too much pickleball and squash in the last couple of years because you know squash is a very fancy sport and the it's you know it's kind of yes. like it's really kind, of, it's kind of like the Nassau County handball and so it's um, so a little too much of that with the wrong shoes. So my 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 feet aren't exactly what what. Uh, what um you know have me ready to do the stadium stairs but i've i've done the stadium stairs before pll coming back to boston this summer uh so if i'm up there i will run those stairs it, they're brutal because they're 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 separated they're they're far apart and steep well when you come back you know i got a couple of food places for for the the tv crew i live in the north end which is the culinary oh. capital of of boston and so we'll well you know i i can i can help you guys navigate that Lemoncello. Joe Beninati and I were out, I forget what year it was, 06, 07, uh, MLL final in Boston. We're out at a North End restaurant and we're eating. And all of a sudden we look, we see David Morrow and, and Jake, body by Jake, eating dinner with their families. Their families go, they see us, they call us over. We're there, I don't know, past well past midnight. It was uh, Joe needed like a death scene restoration on his hotel room before the championship game the next day. It was one of the all time yeah, great. I, I live about uh, I, I live about seventy five yards from Lemoncello, so yeah. it's uh, that's you know it's just a tremendous area. No, we're super excited that the PLL is coming to Harvard Stadium, and you know the the Cannons were usually supported when they play there. I'm I'm an OG Cannon. I played the first two years up in yeah. Lowell, so I you know it's it's great that they're coming to Harvard. At, you know, the, 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 the community lacrosse community in Boston is, is super engaged. And, and, you know, I think it's been reflected in how people come out to support our team as well. 
up in Lowell, I remember the bartender at the Hotel Rocco. It was a single <laughs> single man operation, and there was like 900 people there after a game. <laughs> hey, uh, you do, you've done a nice job attendance-wise uh, at, at certain – like it feels like you're targeting two or three home games and, and making it an event. Uh, what? How have you done that, and why have you done that? You know, I think – I'm not sure who said this, but I let, let's call it – Tip O'Neill or one of the Kennedys, you know, that all politics is local. And so all, you know, growth and engagement and relationship building is local. So one of the first things we did when we when we became the coaches at Harvard is, you know, we have to connect with, you know, the people who are going to come and want to see really high end top 20 lacrosse. So whether it's, you know, the relationship with the, you know, MYL, Kevin Barney, or Town Pride League, or any of those. We went out of our way with clinics and engagement, and we do open practices, and you know we, we do a lot of work with Team Impact, which is a, a Quincy-based uh, organization, and Harvard Lacrosse of Boston, and so we just we just got out there and said, come anytime, come to practice, coaches clinics, you know, free stuff constantly. So. You know, with if if all politics is local, all crowds are local as well. And so we've we've just made it a great event. But it's also, you know, they have a bar at Harvard's games, the Crimson Pub. Yeah. So that's one end of Jordan Field is the Crimson Pub, and the other end of Harvard State of uh, Jordan Field is the Crimson Club, which is where the students and the alumni hang out. They're playing beer pong and getting loose at that end of the field. So we got the Crimson Club and the Crimson Pub. And so, and and I think the last piece is our guys are really good, you know, citizens of the community of Harvard. And they do really well in school. They're good people. And, you know, we've won really big games, Cornell and, and Princeton, top five wins. So you have good wins. You've got natural rivalries within the league. You know, Harvard has 42 sports. So people think, the Ivy League's not into athletics. There's no team in Division One that has more sports than Harvard. So this is an engaged athletic community, and they love to watch competition. So I think all of those things kind of blend together to create a great crowd. Special, special. Uh, those events they, they they become. I remember watching film of of your. I think it was Princeton game two years ago, and the place was place was bonkers. Yeah. Uh, do you think coaches should be compensated for attendance? Because I, I see, like this week, there's that chart released. Team budgets, two, three million. Team attendance, less than a 1,000. Coach is getting paid for his camp. Coach is getting paid for his events. Coach is not getting paid to fill the stands. College football is a little different. Empty seats get you fired in college football because it's revenue. Do you think coaches, if you are if you would renegotiate your contract, would would – would you want some compensation for extra attendance? Well, if if I could go back in the wayback machine, I definitely would because I know we've <laughs> made some. You know, we averaged almost three thousand fans for our Ivy League games. It's, you know, people get people. You know, I think the fan these days is much more driven by who are you playing. Yeah, and on some level, how well are you doing? Obviously, you know, but who you playing becomes really important. So that's why you see these kind of fluctuations. Like we averaged maybe eighteen hundred total fans but almost 3000 fans for our Ivy league game. So, you know, some of that as far as like, so, but in hindsight, yeah, if I was getting a little kickback for that, I'd, I'd be doing pretty I mean, well I, right I, now. If I'm an athletic director, that's what I do because I, right. I see coaches promoting their own camps 
during the season on game day, instead of promoting, hey, come on down to our game today. It's also on ESPN Plus. Check us out. Like they're not getting paid for people to come to watch them them play, but they're getting paid handsomely to attend my summer camp. No, no. I listen. I, I listen. I, I think it's you know when when I was coaching at Notre Dame when you're in Indiana, I saw it as a huge part of my created job responsibility was to tell the story of the program, what's going on, what successes are you having, what are your players doing, what what internships are they getting, you know, what trips are they taking, all of that stuff. That part of the storytelling, I think, I saw as part of my job because I knew it was really beneficial in recruiting. It was really beneficial in helping to educate high school and travel team coaches about what was unique about our program. I've continued to do that at Harvard because it's super competitive, super competitive for students. It's super competitive for internships. It's super competitive for the entertainment dollar when you're in a city like Boston. And so I you know, listen, I see it as a huge part of my responsibility to tell the story of Harvard lacrosse. And, and if we do that well, then attendance will grow engagement will grow our players will be seen as these multi-dimensional people not just people who cradle on Tuesdays and Saturdays and so I'm going to do it whether I get you know compensated or not because I think part of my job is to pull back the curtain on a place like Harvard to educate people on its you know the diversity of experience and people and backgrounds and all the variety of things that our guys do. So I take that job as serious as I take my ability to coach defense and recruit and and mentor my guys. Do we lift too much? We should be spending more time on our speed development. I, I know it's hard, like to go from a four six to a four five five takes a ton of work. And you can teach a freshman how to bench press. You can improve his bench press from one hundred and seventy to. 275 in like a year's work and and there's easy results there but does strength matter because i go to these pll games and it's a speed game the good guys are incredible with the stick i'm not sure we're, we're playing enough with with our stick and speed like there's no guys who are there jacked like you know yeah, listen, but, but you guys but college coaches love it jerry because it's a form of daycare and 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 the it, it's daycare it's team building and the results are wow. If I work, I actually get stronger. But it doesn't correlate to anything. Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I that, that's a, I, I'm going to rant a little bit on it. Like, listen, when we got to Harvard and we had so many young guys playing, one of the things I would tell my assistants would be like, no one cares how much you can lift. You don't know how to play. Like, we needed, we, I had to make a choice based on the challenges that we faced with timing and our scheduling within the league that like, we need to learn how to play. If you, if you squat and bench X, but you have, don't know how to clear and you can't run, who cares if it makes a really good Instagram video of a guy, you know, yeah, deadlifting 600 pounds. And so, you know, last year as we, as our IQ had gotten to the point where we had a year, you know, a year of, of you know post covid where we were practicing and lifting we started to make this transition of of finding a balance between practicing and, and lifting and i i i'm going to maintain that because um you need to find this explosiveness yes. I, you know like i don't i don't spend a lot we don't spend a lot of time maxing 
And because I think that's as much ego and leads to much more hamstring and back injuries, like the hamstring and back injuries in our sport is epidemic. And I think that part of that is, is, is lifting and maxing and, and fixating on that, but it's also, you know, shooting too much, not warming up and cooling down properly. We spend a lot of time on kind of functional movement, shoulder, hip, groin to minimize that while still being able to get enough lifts and everything in. I had a Florida State running back a couple of years ago who had a hamstring injury, injury, and I knew I'd be talking about it. So I did some research with some doctors, and I came to the conclusion that a lot of the lacrosse hamstring injuries are because we run with our heads up. And the second you, you're carrying the ball and you lift your shoulders and your head up to see, like we're taught to do, run with your eyes up, that puts more pressure on the hamstring instead of running with a body lean. When you run with a body lean, you don't tear your hamstrings as much as when you stand up and and run straight up. Yeah. I, again, I, there's, I mean, my, my daughter is going to go into residency <laughs> for sports medicine and had a lot of injuries as a college athlete. There's, there's, there's like nonstop research going on this stuff, but like one of the consistent themes that I kind of extrapolated over the last couple of years is tight hips, labrums, Yes. Tight hips, imba- uh, core imbalance, like not crunches, but rotational strength on both sides of your body is really important for lacrosse. It's passing, it's shooting, it's checking, it's all of those things. Guys are doing way too many crunches, not enough rotational strength. So you get this imbalance with your hips and this imbalance with your core, which starts this domino effect that leads to back and hamstring stuff. So we do a lot of you know, kind of yoga type movements in our pre-practice to open up hips and shoulders to, to kind of minimize that. And it's had a, it's had a, it's had a demonstrable effect on the number of guys that we've had in the, in the training room for, for hammy and back stuff. You mentioned that I'll finish up with, yeah, North, North, South, even at my advanced age, I feel fine. It's any, any time that I have to go sideways or rotate it's uh, it's pretty bad. There's a great uh, Bikram studio up there in Boston. Uh, what's that famous square with the church? Uh, in, in, well, there's a lot of churches and squares in Harvard. There's Harvard <laughs> Square, the- Porter Square, and nope. Davis Square, and uh, well, North Square in the North the one Bay. Where I would have stayed at for the NCAAs. I could look it up uh, here. Um, I don't know. The yeah. famous square. But anyway, they got a great Bikram studio there. And there's one a Bikram studio in... Uh, in the Chinatown area. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I try, I, I don't, uh, I'm not, I don't have the mindset for yoga. I make them call it stretching because I, I don't have I, a couple of candles and some, you know, yoga pants on. That's not really for me. I need a little more competition. Yeah. Go to a Bikram class. You'll, you, you won't be begging for candles. <laughs> All right, Jerry, we'll let you get back on your way. Appreciate yeah, your time. Well, January. Good awesome, luck in man. your uh, your preseason, and then and then in your February uh, February slate. Hopefully, maybe I'll see you this year. Yeah, let's 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 hope, and if not, we'll see you at uh, when you come up in uh, for the PLL game. That's it for this week's episode of the Quintessential Podcast. Thank you to our guests. Thanks to our technical director, Dr. Nick Z. I want to thank you for listening, and of course, thanks to our sponsor, Axia Time a watch. What a better gift than a ring. I've got a championship ring. It's collecting dust in a box. 
I wear watches all the time. Thank you, Axia Time. It's axiatime.com. And we'll see you next week.